Everybody. What crooked rhymes will we try to solve tonight? It is 8.50, 6.59. Sorry. Like I said, I need glasses. Sixes look like eights now. That's how it's getting. <laughs> it is 6.59. I know it's 6.59 because A, I'm not tired, and B, I'm usually sitting here at 6.59. Otherwise, it could very well be 8.59, 9, 9 o'clock, 10. But welcome to the show. It is the 12th day of July-uary. It is the 22nd year of the new millennium. <laughs> talking like this. I don't know what... <laughs> gives a shit it's 2022 and i'm so happy to be here with you on a tuesday night we had a great show last night great emotional exercise the 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 reviews are coming in and they are just everything i i, I love seeing from the audience that it it struck them on different levels it was a complex experience and i i appreciate that and now here we are tonight going off into the great beyond once again We've got Leo Lion Zagami on with us tonight, leozagami.com. It's his debut appearance on Quite Frankly, but he is a veteran of broadcast and media. He's a writer. Uh, he has been in documentaries. He's, uh, you've probably seen him before, probably heard him before. But tonight, you're going to get to know him a little bit better because we are going to take it from the beginning with him. And I'm, uh, I'm playing my cards in a way where I, I, I hope that we can have him back in the future. So we can cover the basics because the world of the, uh, I should say, the new world order, the Illuminati, these are catch-all phrases for most people. We'll get into this in a bit. These are catch-all phrases for most people who generally know what we are all living through, what what kind of attack we are under right now, and... Um, and we don't really need to go into detail with each other, but it's very good to go into detail and realize how much how much history there there is here. And there's no way in hell that we can do this in one hour, let alone four or five or six. So I would love to have Leo back already. So tonight, we're going to start from the beginning. We're going to talk about how Leo came to know the Illuminati so intimately and then uh, hit as much as we can in the time that we have allotted to us. Vatican infiltration, exorcism, technology's role in, in the New World Order. Hopefully I can talk to him about the Guidestones, uh, the, the fires that are going on at the Vatican right now, or in the Rome. 
People are wondering what the hell these these uh, fires are. Maybe he has a little bit of insight into that. I'm going to throw anything I can his way. And I appreciate you guys and gals for coming along for the ride because it is a ride I need company for. I really do. You guys got to stay in the back seat. Don't be too loud and rowdy because I have to drive, okay? That's what the... Thankfully, we don't actually have a live audience in the studio or else this show will never, never happen. Okay, thank you to my sponsors tonight. SecretNatureCBD.com. Do you know that SecretNatureCBD.com, they have been cultivating cannabis flower, pure organic cannabis flower, so high in CBD, so low in THC, that it can be sold and consumed anywhere in the United States without having any problem. They've been doing this for 20 years. 20 years. So talking about hedging your bets, talking about planting a seed and waiting for the world to catch up with the amazing rejuvenating powers of the plant. And I would suggest everybody take a look at what they have over there at Secret Nature, secretnaturecbd.com and use promo code FRANKLY because it's not just, it's not just smokables. It's not just the pre-rolled uh, J's and L's. Uh, it's not, they also have flour and these awesome, really, these really, uh, nicely, uh, airtight tuna cans. The smell is just so aromatic and beautiful. Full terpene experience. That's when you get those little, that's what the smells are. Get the little hints of lemon and little, little hints of pine and all, whatever the hell it is. That's, it gets you there. But there's also CBD at night, your little tinctures and your oils and whatever you'd like. Go there and check them out. Get 20% off with that promo code, frankly. Secret Nature CBD. All right. Um, let us get into our... Tomorrow we have Kip Herridge on the phone, on the phone with us. Kip is a uh, wonderful financial guy, and he knows the time of day. He sees the writing on the Great Reset Wall. So um, we'll be talking a little bit about ideas that people could, could possibly take advantage of uh, on small scale to prevent yourself from getting too much of a haircut in the coming tribulation all right so here is study finds i have some stuff for the grab bag you ready study finds which is probably the most obvious this is the site for the most obvious news you can ever come up with here you go headline exercise can't compensate for a poor diet yes exercise alone won't compensate for a poor diet ladies and gentlemen this is why there is a difference between health and fitness you can be fit you can do all the push-ups and pull-ups that you like you can train your muscles but if you are not uh, fueling the body if you're not cleansing the body if you're not treating it well you are not going to work very well and uh, there is an old fitness adage that I always throw out there with people who try to minimize the food component and make sure that they go overboard with the working out you should sooner skip a day of working out than you would skip a meal that is very important and it's a it's it's incredible to me how many people just simply don't know how to eat um i'm even making a lot of different uh tweaks and and upgrades to my diet along the way but if you want to live long if you want to give yourself a chance a shot at living long and healthy you must master your diet so what does eating healthy look like for the purpose of this study, researchers find a high-quality diet as anything including at least five portions of fruit, vegetables daily, two portions of fish weekly, 
and overall low consumption of red and processed meats. Ah, oh, we're throwing this out. Jay Gulinello is listening right now, and he just literally threw up all of his liver pate. He threw it all up. Forget about this. Don't. I, I, I did not read this to you. I didn't read that to you. I didn't read it. Very sorry. That was a horrendous sentence that I just read. Oh, <laughs> terrible. Terrible. Okay, moving on. I'm going to get a text from Jay later on. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I also have some information about his Martha's Vineyard thing. I have to share that with you soon. But anyway, moving on to the next thing. Daily Mail, kind of in the same category. Weed killer ingredient used in notorious cancer-causing Roundup is found in 80% of U.S. urine samples. You know what they're talking about? You know what they're talking about? A cancer-causing ingredient was found in more than 80% of urine samples from kids and adults in the United States, according to a study. The chemical glyphosate is commonly used herbicide in the agricultural garden, uh, in the agricultural garden and home sectors of the country. Children in the U.S. are regularly exposed to this cancer-causing weed killer through the food that they eat virtually every day. That we all eat virtually every day. That and the... Um, that and the seed oils, which are in everything. Glyphosate is the most widely used herbicide in the country, yet until now we had very little data on exposure. Alex Temkin, toxicologist at a universe, uh, environmental working group, said in a statement, children in the United States are regularly exposed to this cancer-causing weed killer through the food that they eat virtually every day. So... They found glyphosate in 1885 of 2,310 urine samples from participants that supposedly represented the U.S. population. Participants aged between 6 to 18 and made up a third of the samples. And this is why we're so fucked up. And I'm not even saying that my urine is clean. But um, uh, the first step is understanding that we have a problem and then being very meticulous in the, in the places that we get our food from. I just lost my my uh, my milk source. I have to figure out. I have to find another farm. Maybe I'll just go straight raw milk. But I got to find a farm for that. Okay, moving on, moving on. Here's a little bit more on the obvious side of things. 7:08 p.m. Making good time. Headline from Zero Hedge: Starbucks closing 16 stores in major cities due to increasing threats from bathroom drug dens. Yeah. Yes. Uh, do you remember it was maybe two, three years? Uh, when was this? Oh, here it is. Oh, they're actually been talking about it right here, right at the beginning. Remember, back, it was during the Trump administration. Starbucks, they had an incident, I believe, in Philadelphia where they asked a couple of non customers to leave. And. They got so beaten over the head by the woke mob, I guess, except the whatever, whoever, if they were white people, nobody would give a shit. They'd say, yeah, get out of here, yuppies. But, um, but that's when they started having to allow non-paying customers to hang out in the store all day or as long as they'd like. And then wanting to take a step further to accommodate for the drug addicts that come into their bathroom, shoot up and shit all over the walls. They put in a sharps container 
uh, into the the uh, these bathrooms. So when you go in there to shoot up, you can throw your sharps away. Isn't that convenient? And of course, if you don't have sharps, you can probably bust open the box and use somebody's dirty needles. Well, anyway, uh, now Starbucks is just closing stores instead of having instead of having you know policies that are common sense and keep everybody, both customers and their employees, safe. But then again, the problem with Starbucks is the problem with the cities. It's the mentality. Everybody likes talking about late-phase capitalism, which is a whole bunch of bullshit. It would take way too long to unpack. This is late-phase liberalism. This is just what it is. This is what happens when midwits have their way with gigantic metropolitan areas, and they, um, and they progress their way into a living, living nightmare. Four weeks ago, Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz told the New York Times that the company was assessing increasing threats to public safety over its all-inclusive 2018 bathroom policy that encourages homeless people and drug addicts to make copious use. Now the company is shuttering 16 locations in major cities over the incidents related to drug use and other disruptions in its cafes. Yes, I'm sure we could could take a guess at what that, that is. The company on Monday announced that it would be permanently closing six stores, each in Seattle, Los Angeles, as well as two in Portland, Oregon, and single locations in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. I I bet you any money that the single locations in Philadelphia is the location where all that shit was going down, where the, the actual news was being made. Starbucks also said that it would give store managers leeway to close restrooms, limit seating, or reduce operations in response to safety concerns. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm sure the managers are going to really love flexing muscle with that because then, then, then all the, the, uh, the crazy, the crazy, violent, feral humans of the world that are now just looking for, to, to tear anybody's head off, then they'll have a face... They'll have someone to focus all their rage on. The manager who needed to limit the seating or reduce operations in response to safety concerns. That's the person. The manager is going to be the one that gets crucified first. I love that. Corporate, uh, Starbucks corporate uh, corporate centers are just like, yeah, managers, do whatever you want. You know, we're giving you the power to make changes on the fly. Just do whatever you think is appropriate. And tell us about you know, the results afterwards. Tell us how it all worked out. So they created a nice little buffer between the streets and the corporate offices. That's nice. Uh, Jill Biden, uh, she, her office has already apologized for the taco (laughs) comment. And they apologized in a tweet. In a tweet. Jill Biden's staff apologized for her remarks comparing Hispanics to breakfast tacos. Jill Biden on Monday delivered a speech at the Latinx, the Latinx Incluction Luncheon in San Antonio. I wonder if uh, Ping Trip was there. Jill Biden butchered the word bodega. Okay, so then I was right. She said bodega, right? Or something like that? We got bodegas all over here. While Hispandering, that's a new one. I like that, Hispandering. <laughs> To the La Kleenex community and La Raza. Mrs. Biden also compared Hispanics to breakfast tacos. Um, 
Well, there you go. Once again, here you go uh, Jorge Bonilla. Bonilla. Sorry. Bobby Bonilla. Uh, once again, Dr. Jill Biden butchers the Spanish language. For, well, well, let me see the, um, the, the apology. Jill Biden's office apologized for her remarks. Why didn't she make a public statement? First, okay, here you go. From Michael LaRosa says, First Lady apologizes that her words conveyed anything but pure admiration and love for the Latino community. Yes. I were, I'm very sorry that my comparing you, comparing you to a, um, a hard shell taco, uh, conveyed anything but pure admiration for all of your wonderful accomplishments. Thank you, taco people. Once again. All right. And and now the word is getting around, of course, that things are getting a little bit more sticky with Russia. A little bit more sticky with Russia. Uh, this is what we get from War News 24-7. But I've seen this popping around, too, a little bit from RT as well. Are We are on the brink of immediate armed conflict with the U.S. Russian base destroyed by HIMARS, H-I-M-A-R-S, uh, HIMARS 7 dead, 40 injured. American satellites gave coordinates, said Moscow. So now, more of this, these types of um, incidents are happening, and we're getting closer and closer. I want to just throw this out there. This is from a couple of days ago. This was Douglas McGregor. Um, we've, uh, we've covered Douglas McGregor on this show many times before, and he was the one that went on Fox News, and everybody was very upset with his assessment of what was really brewing out there in Ukraine between Russia and NATO. Um, and here's what he said a few days ago, just after the 4th of July. You need to go. You're, you're a disaster. You must leave to save England. Point where someone's going to have to stand up and say, to save the United States, Mr. Biden, you and the people around you must go. That's the only solution I can think of right now. I think the Russians are very serious. And remember, <clears throat> every effort that they made, a good faith effort in their minds, to put an end to this war, to negotiate an end to it, has been spurned by us. We have supplied our proxy in Ukraine with weapons and, and support on a scale that, you know, we did not provide to the French or the British for a very long time during World War II. Mm. Uh, if, if you're looking at this from the standpoint of the Russian, you say, first of all, the Americans are not only supporting our existential enemies, now they're, they're actually allowing former soldiers to show up and fight with the Ukrainians. Now, we can say these people volunteered and, and they're at their own risk, but the Russians are going to look at this and say, this is no accident. The Americans could stop this if they wanted to. So now the problem is, if you're sitting in the White House, how do you, how do you approach the Russians, either privately or publicly on the issue? It's very difficult. Very difficult. But I'll tell you what, it's very weird. In New York City, we, well, I'm not in New York City, but the area, there is a new public service announcement talking about public, despite low likelihood of a New York City strike, from whom, you might ask, there is a new nuclear war PSA that was out here. Here's the, here's the nuclear preparedness PSA. Ready? Take a listen to this. So there's been a nuclear attack. 
don't ask me how or why. Just know that the big one has... Just know that it was Putin or somebody pretending to be him. Ask me how or why. Just know that the big one has hit. Okay? So what do we do? There are three important steps that I want you to remember. Step one, get inside fast. You why would you get inside when there's so many televisions that need to be stolen? A bomb goes off? And you're telling me that the first thing we're, we shouldn't be doing is stealing a new TV? Because that's going to happen. Your friends, your family, get inside. And no, staying in the car is not an option. You need to get into a building and move away from the windows. Step two, stay inside. <laughs> this is amazing. Shut all doors and windows. Shut them. Shut them. Shut the windows. Have a basement? Head there. If you don't have one, get as far into the middle of the building as possible. If you were outside after the blast, get clean immediately. Remove and bag all outer clothing to keep radioactive dust or ash away from your body. Mm. Step three, stay tuned. Follow media for more information. Oh, wow. So it's pretty much just COVID all over again. Stay inside, don't leave the house, and keep listening to Rachel Maddow lie to you. That's wonderful. That's great. That, this, is, this is perfect. This is perfect. You got most, most people out there don't know how to wipe their ass correctly, but you're going to give them three tips to survive a nuclear attack on the island of Manhattan and surrounding boroughs. Get inside, stay inside, and listen to CNN or, or 1010 Wins. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What is coming our way? I just don't know. Who knows? So odd, really. Very, very odd. All right, let's get this one started. We'll be right back. Share the show. Share the show. We got Leo Zagami coming on in about 11 minutes. Let's get it done. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's rock!
It was a hazy, hazy hot one today, but it was really good. It was nice. It was like in the upper 80s. It'll probably touch 90 somewhere. And a little humid, but it's going to be a humid one tomorrow, though it's, they say it's not going to get hotter than 90. I'll tell you something. I'm a little nervous right now. I got here a bit early. I set up. I'm just hanging out. I'm letting the, the room cool off with the air conditioner, and I'm just having a good day. You know, I'm having a good time, at least right now. And I, uh, it was probably about five. No, no, it was it was close to six fifteen. Close to six fifteen, and all of a sudden, everything in the studio goes off. Everything. So there was a brownout. The entire building went out for about fifteen seconds. And then I was able to power back up pretty quick, and all of my windows were already uh, were kept in where they were. So yeah, it, it wasn't too devastating. But I really hope, I'm just praying, that we get through this in, uh, and the power stays on. So send some, send some electricity prayers my way, please. Okay, um, I was seeing this uh, the headline that the... The January 6th committee, they are now investigating, looking into Trump's extremist ties. I would just like to say this, because it ties into what we're doing tonight. It's about maniacal power. It's about these crazy uh, political, sociopolitical elite, or those that class of people that are just untouchable. They are, come from long family lines. They don't go away. The Liz Cheneys are just an example. That terrible Dick Cheney face in, a, in drag. But... Um, Looking for Trump's extremist ties. They're creating extremists. That's what things like this committee is doing. Every day that this nonsense presses on, people are being shown just how claustrophobic this country really is. How obsessive and maniacal the political class is. And how obsessive and maniacal and intrusive they're making all of their underlings that believe in their nobility. And those are the people we have to d deal with directly, our family and friends. This is part of that psychological war that we were talking about last night that was brought up by Jim Brewer when we were analyzing his thoughts on his video. And man, that's where we're going today. That is where we are going today. Um, I have Leo Zagami on with me. And I'm going to ask him a lot of questions going to be asking a lot of questions um, that some of you may consider to be basic. But I would like to start with the basic stuff because uh, honestly, I um, I enjoy going over the basics just for my own edification as well. As I uh, said in the opening, we tend to reference things like New World Order and Freemasonry and the Illuminati in very general, inter at times, interchangeable ways. And after a while, it just becomes less important to be specific because we all generally get the gist of what's happening in the world, what's coming our way. And uh, But if you were stopped on the street by someone with a microphone and a camera, what is the Illuminati? Many of you would stumble through comments and try to string together thoughts about the elite and Satanism, this and that, that and this, and it would probably come out incoherent, especially since you're on the spot there. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that tonight can be the start of clearing that fog up, and, and I would also recommend looking into some of Leo's books, Confessions of the Illuminati series. I believe that it's up to seven volumes now. I'm going to be jumping into that soon as well. But I've, I've spent so much time watching his interviews that we're just going to... Uh, do what we can there. And he's got some great, uh, great things in his in his biography. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that too. 
But, you know, there's only so much we can do in one sitting. Can't bring up aliens and UFOs tonight. Can't do any of that. But there's a lot more we can do. I want to ask about the Rome fires. Uh, I want to ask about a few other things. Especially since we were just able to finish up Malachi Martin's book, Windswept House. There are so many themes in that book that I'm sure that we can get even more uh, detail and color all filled in. But, um, man, oh, man, there's other things there, too. I also got a couple of emails from people, and I want to put this out there just real quick before Leo comes on. But I got an email from someone. You remember we were talking about man, uh, we were talking about throwing away food and all that stuff and, and uh, permaculture, and, and I think it was with Bill, Bill Altman or something like that. Well, I got this from somebody. I, th- I think that you would like it too. And I also have to show you something else. Here you go. Hold on. Let me get to, let me get to this first because it's in, it's in the, <laughs> it's in the thing here. I, this is a, this was constructed today. Everybody needs to see this. The mysterious Aurora Guidestones. Okay, these are the Aurora Guidestones. They have been erected in the driveway, in my driveway. They're not made of granite, though. They are made from blocks of pumice that are still shrink-wrapped. So, um, as I said when I posted it, the, um, the timing of this is very disturbing. Very disturbing to see the, the Aurora Guidestones all of a sudden pop up. You never want to see that. Never want to see that, but I don't know. Oh, and that's another thing I want to bring up. The Guidestones. So... We had spoken about briefly about the time capsule that has been mentioned that has been etched into the the accompanying engravement the engraved stones about what this all is and who left it behind and blah 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 and uh, it was always rumored and theorized of whether or not there was something under there what is in that time capsule well since the whole area I guess is being excavated it's now been confirmed that there's nothing there. Or that's being what that's what's being reported. I just don't know. I wonder what this was really all about. And like I said, the the biggest test I believe when it comes to seeing what happens with those guidestones down in Georgia is do they get rebuilt? Do they get rebuilt? Or if they just go away, that's uh that's something that I am um I'm beyond I, I don't know. I just don't know what to think about it all. But I will, you know, I I guess what I can do is I can bring this up. I can bring this up uh, with Leo Zagami, maybe right off the bat, just to see, just to see what he thinks, because it's kind of like a throwaway topic, but it has to be, it has to be tied in with everything else. Um, Leo, are you there? Hold on, he just called in. Leo, are you there? Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. The call has connected. Nope. I guess he's going to try again. Hold on a second. Give me a moment, ladies and gents. Listen to this music a little bit.
Okay, we're going to go on a really quick break. Just a really, really quick one. I'm going to give him some time to uh, to, to call back and, and get this all settled out. So don't go anywhere, all right? BRB. Red, it, red, it, red, it, get it, ah! Never the quite frankly, that TV. Click on the Reddit logo, join us, engage in discussion topics, share your favorite clips, watch your favorite clips. You don't have a Reddit, well, get signed up. For all them juicy deets, visit quitefrankly.tv. Oh! Worried about the road. Uh, Jack on the cell phone. Jack, what's going on today? Hey, Mike, I want to slap your butt cheeks. Okay, I heard that from Jack on Saturday. Yes, that's right. That's right. The uh, the Bogodas of the Bronx and the breakfast tacos all over the world. What are we going to do? Hey, joining us right now, a man that I have been waiting so many years to speak with. Hello, Leo. Do you hear me? Hello. Hello. You hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Oh, welcome to the show, Leo. It's great to have you on. Great to have you on. Uh, well, I can't see you though. Oh, you oh, hold on. Well, I'll 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 turn that around. Once you start talking, I'll turn the camera around. Yeah, it's it's a big studio, but <laughs> you'll see me in just a second. So, uh, um, so so how are you feeling today? How's the weather out there in California? Very hot. Yeah, <laughs> very hot here in the desert. Uh, it's uh, around 120. Whoa. Oh, okay. So you're close. You're you're by, so you're not near the water. No, I'm in the desert, Palm Springs. Okay. Well, listen, welcome to the show. Uh, it's pretty hot over here, too, but not 120, but we have the humidity. And uh, I wanted to just welcome you. You know what? This is what I want to start with. Many people in the audience, they are meeting you for the first time, Leo. I've been watching you for a long time. Are we already on the air? Oh, yeah, we're on. Okay, great. Yeah. Is it live? Oh, yes, it's live. Live across many platforms right now, and people are already enjoying you. Great. Please send me a link if you can. Oh, I will. I'll get all that to you right away. But uh, for the people in the audience who have, are meeting you for the first time, can you give us a little bit of a crash course in your background and how you became intimately familiar with the New World Order and what is known as Illuminati? Well, to synthesize it in a nutshell, it's almost impossible because uh, I'm already, as you can see, a volume seven of my confessions. Oh, yes. and each volume is around four to five hundred pages long, so <laughs> it will be pretty impossible. But uh, I would say that for those who don't know me, Leo Zagami uh, was uh, born uh, in a maybe privileged background where I was uh, capable of... Uh, uh, joining what uh, people know as uh, the New World Order milieu. Uh, when I was uh, 23, I was initiated in Freemasonry. Then I was also initiated in various sects of the so-called Illuminati, the various uh, sects that compose the Illuminati network. I have written extensively about it, but I'm also by trade journalist, uh, investigative journalist, started uh, very early together with my passion for music but before that uh, like i said there was a family background that led me to this because my grandmother was working with the 
for four actually for William Barrows and Brian Geisen and people from the beat generation she kind of like helped it uh, in a way hushed it in with their friends and she was also though involved with intelligence activities because all these people had some kind of double uh, facade the double face uh, the double uh, um, take into reality one was of course uh, the official uh, version and the other one the most secretive one however just uh, to uh, recapitulate 2 a.m and uh, of course i'm making a little bit of a mess because like i told this 120 over here and we are uh, in, in a very hot surrounding. I had to flee Italy in 2019 because of my books. My father is Italian, a Sicilian. My mother is English, Scottish, related to the Queen Mother, to the Lion family of, uh, of the castle of Glamis, uh, which is basically the family of the Queen Mother. And uh, then uh, on uh, my father's side, uh, his father was a politician, an Italian senator, and his uh, wife was an Italian aristocrat. So uh, these were, let's say, the, the, the causes that uh, led to me uh, being uh, uh, indoctrinated to, to be part of this elite in which uh, I was actually uh, brought in at a very early age. Uh, and, and, and of course, for the people who don't know about this reality, we can talk more about it today in your show if you want, if you have any specific questions. Uh, when I was uh, 19, age of, uh, 19, I was I joined also the Air Force, and in the Air Force I was recruited by Operation Gladio, which was a stay-behind operation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am an anti-communist by uh, coming out of a certain circuit of people didn't make me a communist. I hate communists, whatever disguise it has, because I know that I was born within the Illuminati. I was born within uh, the League of the Just of Karl Marx, which derives from the Illuminati. So I'm like very knowledgeable about where the evil, the virus that is polluting our city, the woke culture, the the cancel culture comes from, uh, which basically is a product of the Frankfurt School, which uh, emanates though from a background which is pretty much uh, connected also with a sect called the Sabbatean Frankist. I'm also partly Jew, uh, I also have, but I've of course uh, been born and brought up in the Catholic world in Rome and uh, that's also uh, my speciality people know me because uh, i am quite knowledgeable about the vatican you were also asking me some questions oh yes oh yeah i have definitely a lot a lot i want to ask you about that too and you know it, uh, we we also spend a lot of time talking about operation gladio on this show because obviously it was a, a very big coming out party for our our newly formed cia and i do believe that uh, we are seeing now not only how that was mutated and uh, uh, that operation was mutated and sent out into Vietnam, the Middle East. I believe that variations of Gladio are being worked and performed right here in the United States on our own soil right now. But um, in, its in, in its inception, I'm definitely down. I'm definitely down and supportive of anti-communist uh, operations. Um, that's for sure. But, um, you know, I, I got well, one, one of the reasons why I got in a clash with uh, the people I was previously involved with was when I saw this uh, 
this socialist communist uh, ideology creeping back in out of nowhere really for me communism was a thing of the past uh, like for many other young people uh, in my late uh, uh, teens early 20s because it was at the end of an era when uh, in 1991 in december 1991 the soviet union ended when the berlin wall fall i mean we all rejoice about the end of such an evil ideology uh, nowadays things have changed very much and i think that uh, we gave up on operation gladio and financing anti-communism just after all that happened and that's when communism actually creeped back in because communists it was already present in most of the universities most of the uh, from the end of the 60s onwards uh, most universities were uh, infiltrated and brainwashed with this uh, perverse ideology which by the way goes hand in hand with jesuitry and jesuitism is a very important factor because the communism was first experimented in the reducciones in south america and then also everything that we see nowadays with the great reset of the world economic forum which is by the way the main topic i discuss in my newest book volume seven which is from the occult uh, roots of uh, the great reset because this is the first book that deals with the occult roots of it i mean people discuss the geopolitical the business side of uh, the, the great reset the links that are of course more known but not many people instead know that uh, the agenda that klaus schwab is perceiving is exactly the same as adam weishaupt and for doing this, uh, my books are always, uh, let's say, um, libtard proof and uh, <laughs> fat check proof. So they are always built in a way with a very detailed uh, set of uh, citations listed very methodically from credible sources that uh, make it possible for me to be uh, taken seriously because I haven't had any problems with uh, with, uh, with what I've been saying, nobody has been able to debunk the content of these books. Well, the, uh, and, and, and like you said, you're up to seven volumes now, and I wanted to just talk a little bit more generally, or more, I should say specifically about Illuminati. Seven volumes, and plus I have also other books. Uh, oh, I've seen them. I have, uh, I have to start getting through them all. This one, uh, which is uh, Pope Francis, The Last Pope from 2015, was my first book in the English language, which is still a very important book because everything that is being written on it just uh, manifested in the years following what they wrote. So, and then you have, of course, also Invisible Master, which is also a very important book because deals with the, the more esoteric side of the occult world uh, that of course uh, uh, sees the secret societies interacting also with things that are not only of this world powers that are not only of this world see so, that and, and we're getting we're getting there because this is something i always want to get around to but when you talk about illuminati uh, it's used if, by the general public it's used pretty yeah. uh, openly to implicate a hidden I, I mean it's unfortunately used in a very general way right in a very superficial way and it leaves the possibility to the people who are attacked to just debunk it in a second because people are very much 
taking for granted sometimes sources from the internet which are complete uh, bogus complete crap uh, that's why when they say the illuminati i immediately uh, tell them well uh, there is volume one now i should pick it up but volume one of my confessions uh, describes exactly what i intend and what we should intend here by for illuminati which is not only the order founded by adam Vesha, which historically in the 1780s was already exposed and had to change name mm. so it's like you know then they say ah he's going after something that has been you know already debunked a million times and they don't exist in 1784 when one guy on a horse got some strike from a thunder and all the documents of the illuminati were exposed and then they went after no it doesn't work that way if you go and study the instructions of the illuminati adam bishop was very clear from the start he said as soon as we start getting persecuted you have to automatically change name and then uh, of course replicate this formula in a different way so they don't come after you uh, so i mean this happened already because in the same period as the illuminati was founded by adam Bation in 1776 uh, there was the jesuits uh, who are being kicked out of the vatican and were the renegades of the time 1771 so the Jesuits were not the Jesuits like with the Pope, like we have now in the Vatican. They were the renegade. They were kicked out of the Vatican. And they were actually protected by Russia, which was Orthodox. And Catherine the Great gave them the protection in exchange of nominating the, the superior general of the order. But then we have uh, this order, the order of the Illuminati that came out from Adam Bishop, who was a professor, who was, of course, teaching in Ingolstadt because the Illuminati have been kicked out. So it gave them the possibility of him coming from the light to actually teach there. But then behind the scenes, uh, when he started to work with Baron Knig, who brought him most of the, uh, of the structure, but also most of the connections, because he was a very knowledgeable Freemason, Baron Knig, after a few years, uh, he actually realized that uh, Bishop was working for the Jesuits, and he openly said it. I mean, you just have to go on Baron Knig on Wikipedia, and he says he accused Adam Bishop of working for the Jesuits. And he was his uh, left hand for a long period, and the guy who collaborated to um, doing these rituals. He wasn't the only guy, because the other guy who collaborated in doing the rituals of the Illuminati was actually Abi Marotti, a Jesuit mm. who ended up later on being the secretary for a pope. So the Jesuits even participated in actually literally working on the Masonic element within the Illuminati. Like uh, uh, some people have said, of course, before me, the two things don't need to be though associated all the time. The Illuminati is one thing, Freemason is a completely different thing, but Illuminati was born within Freemason and infiltrated Freemason because that's what what was their main aim that was also indicated in the restrictions so um see that's very, that, yeah that, no, that, and that's that's the, the thing there uh there's when you talk to people in general if they haven't made a complete joke about it it usually comes down to a a, a, a question of this is illuminati does it implicate a hidden collusion among powerful friends a very casual thing or is this, is this a centralized organizational structure Okay, first of all, there is no centralized structure okay. initially because initially they didn't have the technology to operate a centralized structure. It was said 
uh, there was this uh, say back in the day that the superior general of the Jesuit was ruling his world from Borgo Santo Spirito, which is a little corner in an alleyway in a side street near the Vadi. <laughs> hmm. But it was more kind of like a symbolic, I guess, thing, because he didn't have any satellites or internet or anything to operate such a control. Now, having said that, uh, the Jesuits are very important to understand the Illuminati because the Illuminati are controlled by the Jesuits. So, first of all, also we have to understand that not all the Jesuits are the same, only the Jesuits of the fourth vow. So that means only the Jesuits like Pope Francis who have reached a certain level within Jesuit, the Jesuit order. They have three, four bow, three vows and then they have a fourth vow, which is of total obedience to the Pope. Once you, you join that, it's basically like you join the secret service. It's like a license to kill, anything to protect or to, to do in favor of the Pope, you are licensed to do everything. So it's really a license to kill in the real sense of the word. That's why they are in charge of the intelligence of the Vatican, the Jesuits. And, and, and basically, when it comes down to the Illuminati, like I said, the name was made known by Adam Bishop. Definitely from Adam Bishop onwards, it becomes clear that you can not only take an esoteric path, in a secret society, but also a political path, because uh, he molded this uh, secret society in a way that could infiltrate other organizations, Freemasonry, but also political organizations, religious organizations. And uh, his aim was to transform the world. From that, let's say, laboratory, is a little bit like the Wuhan lab. I make this example in my latest book. It's a little bit like the Wuhan lab for the coronaviruses. Communism came out of that lab, and it can take many different variants. Hmm. Uh, the League of the Just was founded by a German gentleman in Paris, became the laboratory where then Karl Marx published his... Uh, manifesto which became the communist manifesto that we that all the communists lived by and then of course Karl Marx was also inspired by the events that took place in the Paris Commune that uh, was a brief experiment that happened in Paris in which certain lodges of Freemasonry made an experiment uh, of the dictatorship of the proletariat which was an experiment of course after the French Revolution they wanted to uh, let's say experiment and go one step further. It happened in 1871 and it was very important also for Karl Marx, this experiment. And for everybody that wanted to develop uh, this evil ideology, the same uh, ambiance, milieu, structure, Masonic structure of the Grand Orient the Fra uh, of France in particular, uh, aside from the Grand Lodge de France, gave birth to the Grand Orient of the Russian people, of Vladimir Lenin and the possibility to structure the, the, the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union started because in 1905 the Tsar, after another attempt to, to do a revolution which failed, gave them a little bit more liberty and they constructed a new Masonic obedience known as the Grand Orient of the Russian people and that Grand Orient of the Russian people uh, became the place where Vladimir Lenin constructed his future Bolshevik revolution. So, as you can see, I mean, it's a very complex thing. Oh, yeah. Illuminati 
uh, of course, is a very complex thing when you actually want to study it seriously. When you only want to study it on the internet and say, oh, wow, the guy has an all-seeing eye, he's a Freemason, he's an Illuminati. No, that is too simplistic. And that's why I always uh, tell people, don't be so, um, so naive, because the moment in which you embrace certain theories and you go in front of your university professor, of your uh, school teacher of any degree, uh, of, of any kind, they will immediately be able to debunk you if you don't have the facts. So I'm an historian as well as an, uh, as an investigative journalist, as well as somebody who lived it. Because like I said, when I was 23, I got initiated into the New World Order by Prince Aliata di Montereale, somebody who was very much connected with the, the Vatican, but also with the mafia. Is the character you can see in the Godfather Part Three? At one point, there is uh, this prince uh, in Palermo, quickly in one of the rooms. It's kind of like not even showed so because mm. you see, people really believe that the mafia is the Don Corleone of the situation. The Don Corleone of the situation is just a little puppet in the hand of the prince who will control him. This is how Sicily works. And if anybody says differently, because they're lying. Because Sicily was a monarchy, it was the kingdom of two Sicilies. It was a very strict monarchy. And the mafia was created, like I explained also in volume two of my confessions, by changing you. And you see, mafia is F. In the old times, F was written S, like an S. So you read it, Masia. Masonry becomes mafia. Mm, wow. See, so there is an etymologic thing, and then there is also another code, Mazzini, Autorizza, Furti, Incendi, Assassini, that came later on uh, when there was the unification of Italy, that of course was very much Masonic, because in Palermo there was a Supreme Council, there was also a depository of uh, the, uh, the Memphis and Mizraim, so the Egyptian rites were also practiced in Sicily since the time of Cagliostro, who Count Cagliostro was a very important figure also in the French Revolution. He was given the money by the Illuminati to go down to Paris and create the whole thing. And then he was arrested, in fact, for the affair of the necklace. The thing that uh, people must understand is that there is historic evidence for everything I'm saying. And so when we come to the present time, then we have to go to other forms of association because from the moment in which um, they created the round tables, the, there was the, the round table concept. I don't know if you know a little bit uh, about this. It's a different kind of concept uh, it's the uh, movement that basically uh, launched figures like Bertrand Russell, but also the roundtable movement uh, created uh, originally by Cecil Rhodes and then developed uh, later on. Yes. Uh, it, it, I mean, I know, I know the, the, the now, now I know the Cecil Rhodes uh, aspect of it, and you know, just just to interject a little bit when you were bringing up the etymology of of mafia, uh, it also made me, uh, it, it also explains exactly why initiation into mafia is also very religious and spiritual with this, with the burning of the saints and in. Uh, that and, is at the lower level. Yeah. But, 
you see the thing that you have to understand the burning of the saint uh, also repeated in the andrangheta these are low level things that are imitated from the higher levels that's why in the 70s when the new mafia came together which was the calabrese mafia the andrangheta licio jelly went down to calabria and shaped the new andrangheta by creating la santa La Santa was a group of 33 Masons that were also mobsters that at all time had, were like trade union between the mob and the, uh, and basically the Freemasonry. And they were doing it in specific lodges. While instead, when it comes to Sicily, it started with uh, groups like I Beati Paoli. And basically there was these groups that were doing things that basically the, the, the aristocrat, the baron, the guy in charge of the territory couldn't do officially. Mm. He couldn't go around and whack people because they disrespect this or they did that. So he will have created a secret society. And in this case, it was the Beati Paoli, the first secret society of that kind. They will meet with the white capes and all in this underground of Palermo in Sicily. But later on, uh, with the Freemasonry, things became uh, even more kind of like uh, official, formal, let's say, and even less hidden, uh, because they will be operating at times even from the official headquarters of Masonic obediences. Uh, and so we have uh, uh, basically nowadays a structure that rules Italy for example where I had to flee as you know I told you in 2019 because one of my books volume one which uh, is uh, published here in America uh, was talking uh, and revealing certain secrets about the Calabrese mafia the Andrangheta which is the new mafia which is now a lot more powerful than Cosa Nostra they became more powerful why because in the 70s uh, with Richard Gelli giving them La Santa at the beginning, it was only the Sicilians who had their own Masonic lodges. The Calabrese didn't have any contact directly between their masonry, uh, between their, their mafia and Freemasonry. Instead, Richard Gelli gave them this opportunity. Gave them this opportunity because they had the port of Gia Tauro, they had the contacts uh, with the cartels in Med uh, the two cartels of cocaine in Medellin, the other cartel in Colombia, so they could import all the cocaine for, for Europe. And uh, since the 70s, they became the number one mafia. In the meantime, uh, the pizza connection, the persecution of the Sicilian mafia here in the US, uh, as well as in Sicily, destroyed. Uh, basically the power of the Sicilian Cosa Nostra and, 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 and if you destroy something uh, somebody else is going to take advantage of it and that what, what, what uh, the, the scandal of course of the Vatican Bank you were asking me in private about the murder of John Paul I that was connected to Paul Marcinkus Paul Marcinkus was a member of the Monte Carlo Lodge which was uh, a lodge I used to belong to because for your viewers in uh, uh, the fall of 2006, I came out officially uh, from this uh, Masonic uh, setup, Illuminati in Monte Carlo and all the things that I was doing, and I made it public through a series of articles and a blog. It didn't took uh, long. I was actually based in Norway to do all that, because if I was in Italy, they would probably kill me after a couple of days. Well, you I know, was based I in Norway. 
I, I, I want to get I want to get to that, but there's something I want to put there before it because the John Paul the first thing question, and also I want to ask about your your walking away and distancing yourself from that that initiated life to be able to do the your work you're doing right now. But the first thing I want to do is is bring up because when you when you when you pretty much um, we're talking about the uh, these different um, these different organized crime. Um, branches, whether it's from Sicily or Calabria, and you say that the the real you thing. You have also you have also the Napolitan ones, the Camorra. They act in an even more ruthless way, but they are very badly organized, and they don't really aim for any international things apart from some limited deals with Marseille and the French mobsters. But I mean. Uh, uh, that that is in the tradition of Naples. Naples has been always very close, masonically speaking, with Marseille. But but when you were saying that it was one of those things where it, uh, yeah they could be low level, but they weren't connected to the center. And going back to what you said in the beginning, um, in the beginning about how especially back in the day there was no technology to keep everything centralized, and that that is a concept that really does not apply, especially to the formation of this. My question for you now is that we're in the twenty. 20- yeah, for example, that's a problem when you talk also about Knights Templars, people think that the heresy of the Knights Templar, you know, the fact that maybe some of them were homosexual, some of them were worshipping Baphomet, what was Baphomet for them? It didn't really happen in a unitary way because from one church of the Templars to the next one, it might take six months to communicate something. So there wasn't really that kind of connection we have today. Today there is a world that, that connects in real time. That is not the case for uh, until the invention really of the internet. So then how, how do you believe technology has in- enhanced globalist plots today? Especially since we're staring at the face of the, the Great Reset. The reason maybe why uh, the Soviet Union came apart in the first place because uh, they didn't feel they could hide anymore certain things. There was uh, very much uh, an interest from abroad uh, in corrupting uh, uh, gradually and bringing uh, also some, some change in Russia. It didn't really go as they expected it, but uh, that was maybe one of the reasons also. The fact that, you know, it wasn't only any, any, it wasn't any longer only the MTV antenna satellite pointed at Russia broadcasting some song with Sting uh, singing about <laughs> whatever. Yeah. It was uh, instead some more concrete uh, information that could be flooding through the internet. But having said that, in the end, nowadays, the majority of Russian uh, today haven't really changed their mentality since the fall of the Soviet Union. And the, most of the times are misunderstood by, uh, from the West uh, that has a completely different setup, uh, mentally speaking, and, and, and often uh, ends up very confused about uh, uh, the Russian reality. So I personally, when it comes down to the mob, know that the Italian mobsters did a deal with the Russian mobsters in the early 90s when the fall of the soviet union and that was a turning point also that was a turning point i mean people might not know but gazprom is owned maybe three percent of gazprom is owned by the andrangheta mafia of calabria Mm. so i mean so then as far as great reset now bigger picture um, now you have the all the picture, though. I mean, we always end up uh, at the same place because uh, the, cat- the pact of the catacombs, which I dedicate a whole chapter here, was born in December 1965 underground in the uh, catacombs of Domitilla under Rome. The guy, Bishop Camara, who organized it was the special guest 
at the World Economic Forum in 1974, and it was actually Klaus Schwab who said that was the turning point and the most difficult time because they said that this guy was a communist. He was a communist bishop. He was called the Red Bishop. And he ended up arriving there as a special guest, converting everybody to the Pact of the Catacombs. And what is the Pact of the Catacombs? It's a pact in 13 points, which is basically a communist Marxist plot that was done there by those bishops who then launched liberation theology. So we might be going somewhere else, but as you see, we end up always in the same place. Okay, so now, since you bring up these bishops in the World Economic Forum, I just got finished reading a book. We did we do a book club for uh, for this show, and I, me and the audience, we read a book by Father Malachi Martin. It was uh, published '96, called "Windswept House." And um, you wrote, I you suggest to, to read the Jesuits, which is a m- much more of an essay than the Winsworth House. I, mean, I will. I'm, I, I do. And you wrote a lot about the demonic possession of the Vatican. And I uh, did you absolutely. ever. And it's like, I mean, the work of Father, Father Malachi Martin is cited by me profusely. But also I talk about them because this book I wanted to do really as if Father Malachi Martin was still alive. Because what happened in 1999 after his death was really what he most feared hmm. he would, they would do. And it was the reform of the exorcism. This is what I want to ask you about specifically. Yeah, the moment, uh, and that's, this whole book is dedicated basically to this, uh, but many other things, but mainly also to how uh, this connects to the age of cyber Satan, artificial intelligence and robotics now in the Vatican, if we want to talk about some more modern things. But when it came to Father Malachi Martin, the guy was, of course, somebody who had worked with the, one of the most eminent Jesuits, Cardinal Bea, during the Second Vatican Council, which was this uh, turning point in history in the Vatican. He describes, of course, sometimes in the form of fiction, not fiction mainly, in Whispered House, in that book you have cited, he basically simply changes the names because he doesn't want to be killed. He doesn't want to have uh, suffered problems legally, probably. So he changed a lot of the names in that book. Having said, once you know, because there is a list actually that has been circulating of all the names and what they are, we once you it. know that, you're fine. I mean, you understand then how close. Uh, he was to the truth. Um, and and, and the, the Second Vatican Council uh, starts and ends with the two popes, one Pope Roncalli and the other one Pope Montini, who apparently were both Freemasons. There is ample evidence. I even show in one of my books a Masonic dedication made by Pope Montini. So I mean, and also I show a particular picture uh, that was given to me by the late Jordan Maxwell regarding uh, the initiation of uh, um, of Roncalli, so uh, Pope John uh, 23rd. So this Pope, Paul VI and John, these people have changed forever the Church because they gathered all the the, 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 the council, the, the, all the bishops of the world for one big council that lasted several years and in which they had to rediscuss the whole uh, church doctrine because uh, they were Freemasons. The Masons wanted to infiltrate and uh, block those dogmas that will facilitate, that will uh, make it difficult for them 
any possibility of a Masonic takeover, but also they wanted to prepare the, the, the ground for the one world religion that will be coming up later. So basically what we're seeing today with Pope Francis is the product of that second Vatican Council that ends up in December 1965 because in the 1st of January 1966 was the year, the Anno Satanas, the year zero of Satan. And that is basically what happened during, uh, like Malachi also described, during the Second Vatican Council, there was also celebrated a black mass in the Vatican. Yep. And, and that black mass, of course, see, saw amongst the celebrants also a young Ratzinger, who was also participant to the Second Vatican Council. And so, I mean, that, that is really the turning point of the Second Vatican Council, because uh, after that, uh, you have the Latin Mass, which is completely changed and is uh, transformed in the vernacular, in the, in, the, in the profane, whatever, in the modern language of each country. So it changes the whole concept. The Mass was done towards God, so I go towards God behind me, you know, and instead I'm facing you, not God. I'm actually giving the... Um, it's like, imagine, I mean, by paradox, if it's like, you know, I want to talk with you, but I start to... <laughs> Talking to the world. I know. There was other <laughs> yeah. things there too. I remember we were reading it. That a little little changes like how the host, the Eucharist is is uh, is held, uh, or or it's not supposed to be held. Things like that. Like, I remember specifically Malachi Martin said that um, the, the Vatican yeah, Council there is too. A, there is a, all kinds of things because of course the Eucharist could be given in your mouth, or then it could be given in a thing. Then it could be given. I mean, there is all kinds of symbolical things that we can discuss here. But what kind of uh, what, what, regarding the transformation of the mass, the most important thing was to, uh, like I explained here, take away the Latin language because the Latin language also when it came down to exorcism mm. and, and the reform that was done in exorcism, I explained very much in detail, was only passed after the death of Malachi Martin. This makes you wonder, were they scared that Malachi Martin will expose them as soon as they do that? Because then what happened was we were lucky enough in Rome to have a priest, Amorth. Father Amort, the exorcist, who understood what they were doing and started to reclaim the ancient Roman rite for his exorcism. Because he said, if I do the exorcism with the new rite that you have passed, this is not going to work. And, and so it was good because Father Amort was a very charismatic guy, a little bit scary, but he was uh, kind of good enough to gather around him a following of exorcists and then will give birth to this uh, school of the exorcist that really maintained that uh, the most valid form of exorcism was the ancient Roman ritual, the one that was done in Latin in the most traditional way. Here in this book I actually explain exactly the number of prayers that were taken off in a very methodical way, you know, like how many wow. prayers are omitted, everything. So then people can see how the Catholic Church has sabotaged. This is a book, by the way, that was published in February 2019. And watch this. Hmm. Before COVID, 2019, February 2019. 
just to give you an idea, no? uh, and, 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 and of course, all this was uh, done by me because I knew exactly what was happening. I had to put it on paper. They wanted to arrest me in Italy and take away my passport and probably throw me in a prison. I was capable, fortunately, of leaving in May 2019 for America. I'm now, of course, changing citizenship because I don't want to uh, any longer be associated with Italy that is a republic of mafiosi that has a pentagram on their passport because that's what they have. So it's, it's like, uh, for me, being here was very good because I was able then to publish many other books, do a lot of great work from, from here also for my own uh, Italian shows and stuff. Because if I was in Italy, I couldn't talk any longer. I mean, I had to stop doing posts in Italian on the 1st of January 2019. And even after I stopped, the police came and knocked at my door for us because they said that several months before there had been a post they didn't like. And a judge was, was ruling. And, you know, this is the kind of thing they were doing. In 2014, January 2014, they broke the door of my house, my wife who is American, was shocked, said, this is what they do in Italy. They literally broke in like they, they did with the Roger Stone or Steve Bannon recently, and they treated me like a criminal. And I had done nothing, if not denouncing these people. So uh, I'm continuing, of course, my battle. But in 2015, I brought out this book. And after that, of course, uh, Alex Jones came to Rome, and things started to get very interesting because but also very dangerous because at that point i found that italians for trump becoming uh, becoming involved directly politically with the donald j trump and there was the first organization in the world that backed his candidacy uh, candidacy to, uh, as a, to the presidency his presidential bid uh, before he was even a candidate mm. and uh, uh, in uh, January 2017, we were the only place in the world uh, with the two great events, one in front of the Italian parliament, one in front of the American embassy, in two great uh, buildings uh, with a lot of uh, important guests. Uh, Italians for Trump was a great success story. Well, we're but, happy. Uh, we're, it we're also ha brought a lot of pressure because those people hated Trump. They conspired behind the scenes against Trump in Italy. Matteo Renzi actually was active in the Russian hoax. So these people really wanted to come after me after oh that's a, that's another reason why I, I i point out that yeah here we are in the 21st century there's plenty of centralized uh centralized uh action from this group uh, a group of people all over the world that really are working to a uh, an end and i'm happy that you're here in the u.s and doing a lot more work where you can do it freely um I, and very also just to go back a little bit more really interesting that you would do out of all the things I know uh, Father Martin talked about the how how so much of Vatican II made sacraments invalid, and also the rites. How how horrible to make the rite of exorcism in particular purposefully less effective. So you know, we have... it was the last uh, thing they actually put their hands on, because uh, you see they went uh, they started of course with the reform of the mass, then they gradually said, okay, we change this, we change this, we change this, we change that. And, uh, and, and the Novus Ordo Mass, of course, was the first thing. But then after, there was this thing left, which was the exorcism. And they didn't really want to touch this sacrament because they had Father Malachi Martin, who was still practicing it here in America and will have immediately exposed them. So it's very strange that the death of Malachi Martin is highly suspicious 
we we heard that he was pushed we, we don't know i mean down the stairs i mean it's a very strange circumstance some people say he was the victim of a demon after an exorcism to a little girl we don't really know uh, fully how uh, father malachi martin died or if he was killed well do you um, from all of your work do you believe in the devil of course i believe in the devil uh, i actually I've been also practicing exorcism myself wow. uh, because uh, within the Illuminati in the Fraternitas Rosacrucian Antigua, I was uh, made a priest uh, within a tradition. Uh, you have all these lineages that are handed over, uh, over within the lodges only of certain groups. In this case, uh, Arnold Krum Heller had a valid apostolic line from the Church of Antioquia. And so then I practice uh, several times also, but I also myself was the victim of possession and I had to go and get uh, exercised. What is the, what is, that is, what is the, I never spoken to anybody, I've spoken to people who have had a lot of um, knowledge about exorcism, the process, but never someone who had been possessed. If, can you speak a little bit about what that, what that's uh, like? Well, <clears throat> I try to explain it a little bit here uh, because I think that it's important that people understand the seriousness of it. I was uh, cursed by black magicians that I was trying to fight. Uh, in particular, there was this guy called Nikolai Dematos Fritzfeld. He was a very powerful, and he still is a very powerful black magician. He resides now in Brazil. And uh, when you are cursed, you get possessed. If you are not uh, able to defend yourself, because of course these people go to the extent of sacrificing animals, if not even little children, to see you dead. So it's very difficult then to fight that kind of uh, energy. And so in the case of Nicolai Masfitol, I had to go and get exercised in Egypt by a lady called Madame Fula, who worked for the Coptic Church, which I have great respect for is one of, I mean, I really respect churches by their ancient tradition and uh, how old they are. And the Coptic church is the oldest. Christ, Jesus' first church was in Egypt. There is no doubt about it. And the study that was conducted by the Boutrous uh, uh, Gali family of Boutrous Boutrous, who used to be the head of the United Nations, uncovered that actually the whole Coptic area in uh, Cairo, in the center, there is actually a synagogue. So it came directly from the Jewish world. Because let's not forget, guys, that Jesus was Jewish. So whoever says the contrary is blasphemous. So from that moment onwards, when you understand the history of, the Christ of Christianity, the lies that at times were said by the Vatican, the Vatican covers, uh, of course, uh, a lot of secrets, uh, and they do it very well in the Vatican archives that have never, of course, uh, been disclosed publicly. And if you want to accede to them, you have to go through a whole, uh, you know, and you can only maybe accede to a special section of it, a special text, but that's it. So uh, my experience with the possession was a real one. I started to have... Uh, Problems, of course, I felt this uh, this uh, energy within me, this uh, very bad. I wanted to fight it. I wanted to get exercise, but at the same time, I knew that uh, my enemies wanted us to do something else. 
And the, 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 the fact was that Nikolai Dematos Fritzfeld at the time was living in Norway and he was a psychiatrist, head of a, I mean, in the daytime he would be a doctor in a mental asylum, in the nighttime he would be sacrificing chickens and other animals and being a voodoo priest and an Illuminati. <laughs> so, I mean, this is the kind of people you're dealing with. So when you're talking about Satanists, Satanists are the ones not that you see all dressed up with some gothic regalia. Satanists are the ones you see all nice, properly dressed, you know, in your academic circles, eh? and then in the night they are Satanists. And those are really people that you should be scared of, because they can be anybody. It could be a local sheriff, it could be a local mayor, it could be even your priest. So. Wow, I, I, we have so many more things to talk about. I, I know that we're, I don't want to keep you longer than an hour. You've been so generous with your time. But I want to, I want to throw a couple of extra, just small one-off items at you, just to see any, any thoughts you have. Number one, the destruction of the Georgia Guidestones. What do you think about them? What do you think about that whole thing that happened last week? Okay, I've uh, talked about the Georgia Guidestones in volume two of my confessions where I actually announced that there will be a virus in 2015 that will lock you all up. You can just go and check, go and purchase the book, print it in 2015, so then you can see that what I wrote happened. And why did I relate it to the Georgia Guidestones, the fact that you will get a virus that will lock you into your homes and that with the start of a big change for this new world order? Well. Of course, you just need to go and study what's written on the Georgia Guidestones, but also the history of the Georgia Guidestones, and you understand that it is completely linked with the elite and their plan. Uh, people like Yoko Ono appraised them and other people like that who are definitely globalists. I think, though, that to put a bomb there, I don't know if it's really... Uh, what we wanted because those uh, uh, Georgia Guidestones represented also evidence of their plan. So to actually go and erase the evidence, uh, it's, it's, it's actually more in the interest of the people who have created it. That's a great point. Uh, apparently, who is behind this uh, plan, uh, it's, 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 it's Ted Turner in part. Some people have indicated him as the first guy who actually sponsored these stones because the Turner is connected to the United Nations. People don't know that, but the Turner is very much connected to the United Nations and also to nuclear power. Uh, I don't know if uh, you know the history of the Turner, but uh, the year after they inaugurated the Georgia Guidestones, always in Georgia, they inaugurated, of course, CNN. And that was the moment in which, uh, like we saw in 2015, they also made a video, a doomsday video for the end. So they already have this kind of like preparedness. But Ted Turner, who was, uh, of course, uh, married to Jane Fonda, is also not only an American entrepreneur, he is and a philanthropist, however you want to call it. He gave one billion to create the United Nations Foundation Board of Directors. He serves as the chairman of this United Nations Foundation, one billion, for, uh, and then he co-founded the Nuclear Threat Initiative, which is another important organization created always with the Democrats. The Turner might be very much a guy involved directly, and if he is interested, he might then rise them again, or maybe they will simply let it disappear. Yeah. I think that the local community got some money for it, 
the local community took advantage of the fact that definitely a lot of tourism arrived in the area of curious people only for that. So the definitely is a, there is a loss, probably economically. So that's why the mayor of Albertson said, oh, we might rebuild them again. I mean, they might rebuild them again. The thing is that uh, when they build them originally, they used apparently staff from the United Nations Foundation. Uh, fr from uh, what became the United Nations Foundation, I mean, from the United Nations, basically. Yeah, makes sense. Really was established in 1998. Makes makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. I have another another one over here. What do you think? What do you think about that huge explosion in the Vatican Square uh, being reported the last couple of days? Okay, this is a question that people have been saying to me in the last few days because, of course, they don't know Rome. They don't know what's happening in Rome. So you know, there, there's a lot of disinformation. A lot of People, unfortunately, like I explained in my latest book, are still being led astray by the QAnon PSYOP, which is unfortunately a PSYOP. There has been, unfortunately, in the last month, four, four fires in Rome, but they have nothing to do with the Vatican. The latest one was on the other side of town in Centocelle, and they have to do mostly with the mafia, the mob, which uh, deals with, uh, uh, has control over the rubbish. Rubbish, uh, the, uh, the the actual uh, taking away the rubbish, placing the rubbish in a big pile, and then all this process is always in Italy a problem because in center and south of Italy, also in Naples, they are always controlled by the mafia. The mafia basically, if it's not happy with the, 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 the way things are going, simply sets fire to it, and then problems start. In this case, uh, there was a fire that started probably from uh, maybe even the gypsies participated. I know it sounds a little bit Borat-like, but the gypsies, unfortunately, often work like mercenaries for the Vatican. They are the most cruel mercenaries. In 2012, 2011, I was about to come out with my books for the first time in Italy. They had been published already in Japan. I had received already an offer in cash by the Vatican to not publish them in Italy. They actually called me, Antonio Leonardo Montoro, and the guy who used to be the head of the security for uh, John Paul II. They personally called me. My, my wife was shocked because these people, and they offered me money to not publish my books in Italy. When I moved forward with wanting to publish them, suddenly one day I was, I had a house in the village and. Uh, uh, my residency, though, officially was at my mother's place, which was down in the valley. Suddenly, my the gardener of my mother called me and said, there is gypsy who have broken to your house, and I just catch them while they were going out with all your computers in their hands. They had been sent there. They didn't steal anything. The only thing they wanted to bring away was the computers where I had my stuff. Mm -hmm. They had even stole an English car, English car meaning with the, the driving on the right. So it looked uh, like it was friends of my mother because my mother is British. And so it would look more like they were friends of my mother. But then when the gardener arrived, they panicked, they started to run. And, and at, the, at the time that road was a dirt road. And in a dirt road, there was this guy who was simply minding his own business with his car. And suddenly these people arrived, boom, smashed his car. <laughs> I was arriving from behind, uh, running from the village, but it took me uh, about 10 to 15 minutes. By the time I arrived there, the police was already there. 
the gypsies were running loose uh, trying trying to but in the end they, they made a big error that day because when the clash with this guy it happened that the guy who was driving in this little dirt road was, was himself a mafiosi picked up one of the gypsies by the neck took the document and knew exactly which uh, which uh, uh, gypsy camp they were from they were from the camp of la mayana now if you go and study the history of the p2 the, and you will find the banda de la mayana was also the gang that in the 70s and uh, most in the 70s but also in the 80s helped the p2 and even assassinating that poor guy uh, mino pecorelli who published all the names of the Masons in the Vatican and was brutally assassinated. Himself was also a Freemason like, and a member of the P2, but he was brutally assassinated because he had published in his uh, uh, magazine OP the names of all the Vatican. So you see, the Vatican often employs these people. So I knew exactly why they were there. And so it was really annoying um, it's just incredible to hear this uh it's, it's incredible to hear unfortunately just... they got it wrong because i always keep my stuff on hard disk external i was not even living there so yes the computers i have been using them but they were not my main computers they could have actually stolen them i had my other computers so yes the attempt was made and it was evident they didn't want me to print the book but that didn't really stop me. And in fact, the, the year after, I printed the first book in Italian and it became a bestseller, which was volume one of my confessions. And now here you are. And I can't wait to, for the next time you come on, Leo, because there's so many things I want to, I want to, I still want to talk about. I have a whole list of things to ask you about. And, uh, but, but in the meantime, while we wrap up here for this first, uh, this first installment of your, of your confessions on this show, well, let everybody know, please, where the best place to buy all of your, your work is. I saw it on Amazon. We have your website up on the screen the entire time here, leozagami.com. Where would you want people to go first if they want to learn more about you and your work? Uh, well, leozagami.com is the, the perfect place. They can also find all the links to my latest books uh, for the books also uh, who are not uh, uh, linked uh, on my website. You can simply go on Amazon, you put Leo Zagami, and then you get also the books from uh, my uh, other publishers. So you can get the whole collection. I, as you know, I have uh, published many books. So one last thing, you asked me in private about uh, Antoni Ramondi, who was uh, this... Uh, uh, guy who claimed he killed the, the, the help killing the Pope. Yes. Uh, John Paul the yeah. Yeah. Let me let me just put that out there. If you go, if you want to answer that, the, the death of uh, Pope John Paul the First. We have Godfather Three as a reference here. We have that incorporated into the storyline. 2019, uh, Raimondi, this mafioso, wrote a book saying that he was part of the hit on John Paul I saying that it was stock fraud. Now, what what? Do, but there's so many people that say it's different things. Uh, what do you th what do you say about the death of John Paul I I say he was killed with a poisonous coffee uh, he was killed because uh, uh, there was of course uh, the intention by John Paul II to reform the Vatican Bank there was no intention though by the Vatican Bank and people like uh, Paul Casimiro Marcinkus who himself like was a member by the way I knew him he was a member of the Monte Carlo Lodge and uh, he ended up having to flee Italy in the end because of all the scandals surrounding his uh, 
his, uh, his work, but the, the, the uh, homicide was conducted on the 33rd day after his nomination to give also a clear signal that there was a Masonic assassination. And uh, of course, uh, people uh, can uh, say, ah, this, that, or the other, but uh, I'm sorry to say that uh, the evidence is plenty and there is plenty of witnesses. And, uh, and the guy was probably a great guy, but after the Second Vatican Council, he was kind of deviating a little bit. Uh, and there were some Masons, like uh, Jean-Marie Bilot, um, who had, let's say, a particular... Uh, uh, who, who were all, they were all Freemasons, and they were all intending in following the course that was dictated, the Masonic course that, like I said earlier, was uh, uh, dictating uh, the, the, the change in the church. So I think uh, the main thing, though, was the fact that at one point he simply said he wanted to reform the Vatican Bank. And they said, no, no, this guy is too much. Plus there was another thing. The CIA... Uh, needed John Paul II because uh, they needed uh, Papa Wojtyla, they needed a Polish Pope, they needed a PSYOP that could end the Cold War. And it was a PSYOP, guys. The whole thing was a PSYOP. The, the whole end, the whole dramatic thing, Gorbachev, Gorbachev was initiated in Freemason, was bought, and that was it. That was the end of the Soviet Union. But it happened already... Uh, three or four years prior to the actual formal end of it. You see, the, the, the Vatican uh, wanted a pope that uh, was involved in this uh, whole Cold War thing because simply it was the CA that wanted and was the Jesuits together with the CA and the Knights of Malta also. They wanted simply to have Wojtyla there, and that's why it was important to get uh, John Paul I out of the way. Having said that, John Paul II then himself was an anti-communist and was so fierce, fiercely anti-communist. At one point, like you will read in the book The Jesuits by Father Malachi Marti, became a problem. And then at that point, when it became a problem, what happened? Oh, well, he had an attempt so, to his life. Yep. <laughs> he actually went directly with the guns to gun him down. And in that case, it was... Ali Akcha, but Ali Akcha was actually given the, the pistol by the guy who initiated me, Prince Aliata di Montreal. It wasn't some kind of Muslim plot. It was actually people in the Vatican, Freemasons, Cardinal Freemasons who organized the uh, the attempted assassination of uh, John Paul II. Well, you know, since since you bring it up, and since we're at, I mean, I, I, we might as well just get this last question in because you just uh, we were talking about John Paul the first, and then John Paul the second. The guy who gave uh, the assassin the gun is the guy that initiated you. How does a man like you walk away? Uh, 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 walk away. How do you create distance? And when when you start learning what kind of uh, machinations are going on and, and and what kind of control uh, is 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 being foisted onto the world, and and the choice taking away from everybody? It's not a, a liberating uh, philosophy, obviously. So when you when you start creating distance between yourself and the order that you were initiated into, I mean, how, how do you even do that? It's not a civil service job. So wh how does that happen? It happened in two thousand uh, between two thousand and three and two thousand and six, uh, and there was. Uh, 
uh, gradual. It was initially because uh, I saw that there was groups like the OTO. I have been initiating the high degrees. They were giving me some instructions, so they were involved with. The, there was uh, involvement basically in human sacrifice depicted in these instructions by Alistair Crowley, and that was something that that I didn't absolutely want to have uh, anything to do with. Then uh, this uh, war, uh, internal war, uh, developed within the various sects of the Illuminati. And I'm not talking here only about masonry, but also other groups, uh, which I described very well as part of the Illuminati network in volume one in particular. Um, and, and then in 2006, in June 2006, I was said by the best friend of Paul Marcinkus, Ezio Junquilla, well, Leo, if you continue like this, you might end up whacked. Well, when I hear that, I get angry and I get pissed off. I didn't react like a little sissy boy. You have to understand, I wasn't only an apprentice. I was a 33 degree. I was a member of the Masonic Executive Committee. I have founded an order within the Masonic Executive Committee of Illuminati in 1999, the Order Illuminatorio Universalis. I had the patents. I wasn't a little apprentice guy who can No, I was one of the guys on top. So I simply said to, to this gentleman, you want to make war with me? I make war with you. No problem. And it started. And it uh, ended up with me being accused of espionage in Norway. I lost the possibility of ever seeing my son again. I never saw him again. So I had to sacrifice a lot of things. But the war started and the war continues. And it's not like a pleasant thing. That's why in the end, in 2019, I had to flee Italy. Because it became, you know, to fight these people, I started, you know, I brought that order which I have founded in Monte Carlo outside. I had the patents to reawaken it officially in Italy. I called all the Masons that were loyal to me who had read my books, who had read my books, sorry, and who had agreed with what I was denouncing for an improvement of a better mason. And so we are reawakened, like I described in volume three, the right of strict observance, which is a Christian Masonic right. And I was hoping through that and through my order to bring more and more people from within the <clears throat> New World Order establishment into the fold. But unfortunately, it didn't work out well. It worked out in the sense that they didn't kill me because they're scared of who are my associates, because they don't know it, because I operate like them. They operate with secret societies, I operate with secret societies. They operate with Freemasons, I operate with Freemasons. At one point in Italy, I was welcoming the enemy to come in my lodges. Please come and check out how I do things. Then they saw that it was very serious. They saw that my lodges were conducted in churches and things, that I was very meticulous about the, the, the rituals and the things. And they were like, but this guy is really serious. I said, yes, I'm deadly serious. Because you have to understand, I'm a descendant of kings and queens. I'm a descendant. Uh, my bloodline talks for itself. I'm not a peasant. So I'm never going to behave like a peasant. But if you want to wage war against me, I wage war against you. And the problem here is also what they are doing to the world. I prefer to be Robin Hood, who, by the way, is said to be a member of my family, who steals to the rich and gives to the poor. When I saw, basically, the thing is this. In 2006, I came out with uh, all my knowledge on the Internet. For three years, I was insulted, trolled by all kinds of people. No, what you're saying is not only oh, you've never been a Mason. 
it was like I was attacked on a daily basis. 2009, I decided to change course. I said, okay, I'm going to start publishing books. I had the possibility to publish my first books in Japan. I published six books in Japan between 2009 to 2012. And then I, uh, at that point, that's why the Vatican came to me and said, well, don't publish the books here. Don't publish them. Don't publish them. <laughs> you know, but then I published them. And so then I entered in a confrontation with them. So, um, and then those books became successful. And then I wasn't there saying to the people, you should uh, buy my book and we should see each other in a conference and I will sign it and we will all be nice to each other. I was saying, this book is for the revolution. You learn this, we can fight the enemy. At that point, things got wild in Italy. At the end of 2013, I started the Pitchforks Insurrection. You can go and check it on Wikipedia. Pitch, pitchforks, social unrest. We blocked Italy for months. I got uh, the unions of the truck drivers to block the entrances of the highway. I was creating uh, basically social unrest on a massive, uh, and then at that point, uh, of course, they came after me in a big way. Well, you, they, it's it's very apparent here that you you put it all out on the line and. Uh, and that's that's admirable in itself. And I'll say it again: we're I'm I'm happy that you're in in United States now. And I hope that uh, I hope you're able to. Happy. And my intention is hopefully to become uh, as soon as possible America, so I, American, so I can then uh, fully participate to your political life. And maybe uh, then it's gonna be even better because we're gonna have. Uh, one more possibility in fighting the system together. But remember, I've uh, renounced, of course, to a lot of things uh, because I live now in a very modest situation, a little apartment, uh, temperature outside is 120 degrees. I had sacrificed very much. I had to leave uh, big villas, swimming pool things, houses, uh, uh, and riches in Italy. I actually had to renounce some of my stuff. I had to legally renounce to it because otherwise the government will come after it. And and so I just gave it away. I gave away my car. I gave away everything. So I, I renounced to material things, but I always follow the same inspiration I had from that June 2006 when I made the decision to fight them. And the decision was made because I could have accepted their offer, which was to open an office of the Ordo Illuminator Universalis through the International Rotary Club Division in New York in the United Nations headquarters in New York. That was an offer that was made to me by Giorgio Ugo Balestrieri. That at the time was the head of the Rotary International Division, which is based there in the United Nations. If I accepted that, I will have become part of the corruption. I never accepted any corruption. And so I hope that I could continue being an example for most people of uh, correctness and also of not selling your soul for riches. There is God who is watching you. There is God that, that fortunately uh, gives me and my wife a great possibility here in the United States. And I'm very thankful for even the little things that I have today. So thank you so much for having me on, and maybe in the future we can continue our discussion. Oh, I would love to have you back. I'll, in fact, I will. Uh, I'll email you after the show and and throw you some dates for end of summer or something like that. I, uh, it would be wonderful to continue this because I want. I have so many other questions. Questions that even goes into uh, 
early American, the early United States history, uh, Freemasonry and all that stuff. And I know that you'd be a wonderful addition to that. Thank you. Uh, send my best to your family, to your wife, and we will talk soon. Leo Lyonzagami, thank you so much for being here tonight. And all your listeners and audience, I hope that you have enjoyed this show. And hopefully also next time we can discuss maybe a little bit closer my books. Because you got maybe it. And, uh, reference a little because there is so much work that I would like to discuss with you also from my books and and, and the books have been a way to show these assholes from the academic establishment that uh, have hijacked our academic establishment from the end of the 60s that there is this reality that uh, there is a reality that we need to face before we get dehumanized and we need to do it fast thank you Thank you. Thank you so much, Leo Zagami. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have a wonderful... We still have about uh, 19 minutes left. I'm going to take a really quick break. When we come back, going into your uh, your thoughts, into your super chats, and um, wow, everything I thought it would be. So much information, and thankfully I have a lot left over. So we have a lot to work with when we, uh, when we hit the other side. So don't go anywhere, ladies and gents. BRB. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? All right, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so the first thing I want to put on out there before you lose anything, since it's just the uh, the night, the evening is still fresh in your mind, please 
write down all of the follow-up questions or all of the topics that you would love to hear Leo Zagami speak about in a future phone call and send those emails to quite frankly podcast at gmail or protonmail.com I have a lot of things here too I got a lot of things here too I, I would even love to talk to uh, <clears throat> I'd even love to talk to him about William Morgan because the murder of William Morgan here in the United States in like 1825 1826 it's actually in New York um his murder, his execution by the hands of the Masons started, actually instigated a, a split with a lot of the those uh, uh, who are among the Freemasons here in the United States in New York at least. That was a lot of people renounced their allegiance to the Masons once that kind of violence was was put into we'll talk about the the uh, the story of William Morgan sometime and maybe Leo Zagami has a little something that he can uh, share with us about that I would also let you uh, 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 would also suggest that this is a good night to go and listen to once again Myron Fagan his two two hour or so two and a half hour dissertation about the Illuminati, and the Council on Foreign Relations that he recorded in 1967. I have all of Myron Fagan's old printed newsletters. It's about 80-something of those. They are in my archives, which uh, the archives are a stack of Rubbermaid containers with all of my books that need a, a room, a den, a, a study, an office. You know, my office right now is the kitchen ta- a corner of the kitchen table. But um, but I would say go listen to Myron Fagan again because he will take you from 1774, 1775 with uh, Adam Weishaupt. You got all that tonight. You you, you might have lost a little bit of it because of Leo's uh, accent, but he spoke a lot about Adam Weishaupt in there. That's all around. It's 1776. That's where we get May Day from, by the way. That is when Weishaupt, that's uh, on May 1st is the day that uh, Weishaupt completed his uh, manifesto for the Illuminati. That's when that was completed. That's why it's become such a, a big commie holiday. Nobody knows what the hell it's all about. May Day. Uh, but there's a lot there. And I have got to start diving into his books. I just have so much. I'm, I'm backlogged here. Maybe. Maybe. And I'm sure... Able to appreciate this. Maybe we actually pick out one of Leo Zagami's books to do a uh, book club, special session of the book club. Now, I-, I don't know if we can do any of the confessions as a book club, maybe one of the smaller books, because, um, yeah, but that was great. We got to talk about Malachi Martin tonight. And I did not know about the right of exorcism changing officially in 1999 post his death. Because his death was in 1999, very mysterious. He was performing exorcisms to the end. Man, now I'm going to have to put all those up on the uh, the network too. Malachi Martin, all of those interviews throughout the mid to late 90s with Art Bell, interview one through seven, plus Myron Fagan. That's pretty much all we're going to be streaming all weekend this weekend. You watch. So there's a lot there. 
a lot to do. Let me start in foxhole, see how everybody's doing. Uh, in Search of Truth says, can't wait for this one. I, I hope that you enjoyed it. Judy the Ladypug, socially distant air kisses for Leo and Miss Christie. Judy the Ladypug says, air kisses for Leo. Oh, the, uh, no, more, more. Well, Leo, you just got, Leo and Miss Christie, you got air kissed to death. Sean Joe, River Pike, le uh, the left can suck it, says River Pike. Boys Block 89 says, this is for Chicken Nugget. Thank you, Sean Joe. I Chihuahua, thank you. Tom Fords has sent you an article on Patriot Front. I'm starting to think that they could be Gladio on domestic soil. Gladio on domestic soil is probably an amalgamation of many groups. But that Patriot Front is so laughable. So laughable with their khakis and their turtlenecks and their their uh, what their their gray face masks sweat their wool face masks and their their uh, glasses and their shields oh, so it's so ridiculous so ridiculous let's see here um, Tom Ford says who are the families controlling the Illuminati though send that to me an email Tom for uh, Tom Ford and I will sift through those and prioritize um, prioritize questions see if I can combine questions and make something else all your thoughts would be great because I'll add it to my show notes on Leo Zagami and they'll just sit there until the day that I get him back on the air thank you Doug Simi Boyce Blanc Empress bitch to use as fascinating man um, very interesting guest, Frank, says Empress. And Annie Oakley says, we're dying a slow death tonight with the spinning wheel of death. I don't know what happened on Foxhole, but I stopped it and restarted it when Abe told me there was problems. And I think we got it back online. But, um, if you have, once again, on QuiteFrankly.tv, the embed for Foxhole, the chat room, and the video. If you have problems, it is imperative that you report them to support at pilled.net support at pilled.net uh, quite frankly TV is mine but foxhole and pilled.net is Matt and the other two mats the mats and if there is something wrong that they, they need to know remember it's an independent media venture and I am very enthusiastic about about uh, investing time into something like that because we're going to need that going forward um, but if, if if it's feedback that you guys and gals have please send it directly to foxhole support at pill.net okay over on rumble we've got selling the farm just a token of my appreciation of your efforts to keep us old bastards informed thanks frank and for all that you do about time to get another bun in the oven oh there we go there we go Nobody, everybody just wants to keep putting buns in the oven. See what happens. See what happens. A lot of things in flux over here. Bad Andy says, did you hear Paulie from Sopranos died? Yes, indeed. That was breaking news on Friday night and on the show. My brother came in to tell me that Tony Sirico died. Very upset. Todd Fife, thank you for the tip. Retrograde Pisco says, great show, Frank, and congratulations on finally getting Leo Zagami on the show. The man is a legend such as yourself. Keep crushing. Can't wait for Timothy Alberino. Well, thank you so much for the compliments. And if you guys have uh, Timothy Alberino and Leo Zagami are good friends as well. 
and I was able to watch one of the episodes they did together months ago, and it was a really good one. They talked about Great Reset and everything else. Um, but if you guys have any questions for Timothy Alberino, which I have many of my own still in my show notes, send them my way. That's going to be Friday night. And I will also tell you that after our episode Friday night, we'll probably end around 8.30, 8.35, because we have a follow-up broadcast one final book club broadcast but with me, Timothy Gordon, and his friend, I'm, I'm, his name is escaping me right now, but Timothy Gordon's friend, who actually knew Malachi Martin, will be joining us. And we'll be asking some follow-up questions and some overall character questions about Malachi Martin. And uh, it may not be, it won't be that long, maybe about a half hour follow-up little thing to cap off all of our book club meetings on that particular topic and that particular author. So just letting you know, we got tomorrow night with uh, Kip Herridge, then we Jeff Harmon, the astrologer with Rob on Thursday. Friday, we got Timothy Alberino, and then a bonus broadcast with Timothy Gordon and a uh, personal friend of Malachi Martin. So a lot of that. Uh, Chuck Sellers says, thank you for an excellent episode. Thank you, Chuck. And Twisted Wizard, he mentioned being tied. He'd mentioned being tied to uh, Glamis Castle. How about asking about Somerset Benelof? Be, uh, 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 Belenoff? Uh, send that over to my, my way, Matt. Send that my way as well. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for all the tips over there on Rockfin. A lot of, a lot of them tonight. Now on, quite frankly, superchat.com. Stostube says, thank you for a wonderful guest, Frank. Great. Tuesday, sir. At the very least, you all have a lot of things to read. Me too. And we are getting a little bit closer to the day where if that camera and that microphone is shoved in your face in the street and says, what is the Illuminati? You can say, there's no way to nutshell it. And you can, <laughs> and you can start making their eyes gloss over. Because <laughs> obviously there's no way to nutshell it. Albert Frederick, Fukushima, weapons-grade plutonium-50 for 50,000-year 50, half-life people uh, live there now. Chernobyl, people live there. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, are we done yet? Okay, remember, Albert doesn't believe in nukes either. Though, um, I don't know about the half-life stuff, but I'm sure it was pretty shitty living in Hiroshima and Nagasaki during the time that they was dropped. But, still, Albert Frederick again says, Very knowledgeable guest tonight, Frank. The fish rots from the head down. Who owns everything? BlackRock, Vanguard, who owns that? The Rothschilds. Can we say that? It's like saying Voldemort, LOL. Um, I'll tell you, I have a friend. I have a friend who is very, very up to snuff with what's going on with world powers, and he has a lot of controversial opinions, if you know what I mean. But with that being said, he can't stand when people blame the Rothschilds for things. Um, and I, maybe I'll bring him on one day to let him, let him, uh, let him say his piece. But, uh, but there you go. Uh, Fat Boy Vince says, nice show, Frank. 
Thank you. Erica Strain says, it's rare that I can listen live, but you are in my podcast. You are my podcast for morning and evening commutes. And I just wanted to let you know how much I love your show from up here in Guelph, in Guelph, Ontario. Is that how you say it? Guelph? Ontario, Canada. Erica, thank you so much. And I'm glad that I've become people's commute uh, listen, and hopefully this one blows your mind as well. Tomorrow should be a good one. A little bit of finance in the beginning, and a little bit of hanging out in the second half tomorrow. Phil's WW, this is Shannon. She says, Frank, thank you so much again for the book. Oh, she got, she got her Windswept House book today. And to the losers, suck it. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm super honored and will treasure it and won't enter the next raffle just to be fair. Well, that's nice. She could have flexed on everybody, but she didn't. She's not going to enter the next raffle to be fair. That's a George Washington move right there. Georgette Washington move. Um, Love to all you Franklies. Oh, by the way, it's Phil's. It's Phil's Wonder Woman. WW, Wonder Woman. Got you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, all right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's 8.57, and we just got through everything. If we had a little bit more time, I might have uh, read, read you some Marcus Aurelius, but that's all I have for you tonight. Have a fantastic evening. I'll see you tomorrow for the Wednesday night show. Just two more days until our suspension on YouTube was lifted. So I'm gonna better I better mop up the best I can with all of my uh, all my music picks. And yeah, you guys have been fantastic to me once again. Uh, email the show, become a sponsor of the show, please. Go and buy all of Leo Zagami's books at leozagami.com. And that's it. That's it. We will talk to you soon, ladies and gents. Do not waste your evening. Be happy, relax, and uh, sleep well. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Stostube, Albert Frederick, Matt, uh, Fat Boy Vince, Erica Strain, Phil's Wonder Woman, and Jesse Woke. Thank you to everybody. Over there on Rockfin, big tippers tonight. Ray, Ray uh, Rat, uh, Bad Andy, <laughs> Bad Andy, Todd Fife, Retrograde Pisco, Chuck Sellers, and Twisted Wizard. Thank you to Selling the Farm and Is This Real Life? Who just dropped it in there? All right, I'm releasing the scratching. Good night, everybody.